This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together 10 disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those 10 tracks was hosted by Downline Institute and facilitated by Ariana Remsen. Here's audio content from their track called Women Discipling Women. All right, ladies, I think we are ready to start. Um, How's everybody doing? Good, 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 good. Let me open us in a word of prayer and then we'll get started. Heavenly Father, I do thank you for this morning and this afternoon, Lord. I thank you for everyone who has spoken thus far, Lord. I thank you for discipleship.org and just their desire to um, just equip believers to make disciples. Lord, I thank you that this is your command. Lord, we did not think this up. You thought this up and you allow us to be a part of it. Lord, you could have easily done this on your own, but you allowed us to be a part of such a great movement. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. And, and Lord, we do pray that your word will um, just take deep roots in our hearts. Lord, and I pray that this time will be encouraging to Every woman in this room, Lord, I pray that I'll be blessed by it. Lord, I pray that you would speak to me and through me, Lord God. And I pray that you would be glorified during this time. And Father, I pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay, so this one is called Discipleship Through Evangelism. And I want to just share with you my kind of testimony, how I came to know the Lord. And you'll see why I kind of chose this as my topic. So I'll fast forward to my college years. Uh, Freshman year of college, I pretty much decided that I didn't need to go to church anymore. I was like, okay, I've gone to church with my mom and dad. I'm in college now. I get to do what I want to do. And and so I did that. That freshman year of college, I just kind of did whatever I wanted. When I would go home on the weekend, I would go to church. But that was never something that I desired. And so just seeing that in my life, I realized that I must not have a relationship with Christ. Because if I did, then I would desire the things of the Lord. And by the Lord's providence, he gave me an RA that was a Christian. And then he gave me a friend down the hall that was a Christian. So my room sat right here and there was a Christian this way and there was a Christian this way. And then my roommate was a Christian. So Lord was like, I'm going to get this girl. (laughs) She thinks she's just going to do what she wants to do, but it's going to be totally different. Now, my roommate that was a Christian, she was kind of one of those legalistic Christian. She said, you've got to do this and you got to do that. And, um, you know, I was not going for that. I was like, nope, don't want to be your friend. Don't want to talk to you. You can't tell me what to do. But then the friend down the hall, I just saw a difference in her. I saw that she enjoyed college. She she went to the things that college had to offer, but there was still something different about her. And so I was attracted to that. I was like, what is it about her that is so different? Like she can have fun, but yet there's still this this reverence about her. And then I had this RA who every time I would have an issue with my roommate, she would try to, you know, bring some spiritual truths in and she was trying to fill me out. And then fast forward to that sophomore year, um, this friend and I became really good friends. And she started inviting me to a church that was meeting on our campus. And it's funny now because I don't think this is really allowed on college campuses now, but a church actually um, started to reserve one of the lecture halls on our campus. And that's where they had their church. 
And I don't think colleges are able to do that now. So I was like, thank you, Lord, that you allowed that in 96 and 97. If for no other reason for us college students who really needed to know the Lord. And so they met in the lecture center. It was about 500 people could fit there. And she would invite me. And she said, Ari, I think you should just try this church out. You know, it's just really good. And I was like, I really don't want to go to church. Like, I just don't. I just don't want to hear anything else about it. And But in my life at that time, I was kind of going through this, like, bout of depression, you know. I, my boyfriend wasn't good. I wasn't sure if I chose the right major. I wasn't sure if I chose the right school. And, you know, all those kind of issues you have. And so one Sunday I got up and I was like, okay, I'm just going to go. So I had my sweats on and I said, I'm going just like this. I'm not getting dressed up because the church I used to go to, you had to get dressed up. You had to look like you were going to church. And I said, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to wear what I have. And they don't like me, then too bad. I mean, I just had this really hard heart. And Lord was just like, oh, poor child. Come on. (laughs) So I walk in and I deliberately sat in the back of the lecture center. And I sat down. I was like, if if I don't like what I hear, then I can just walk out and so be great. And the minute I sat down, the Lord said, do you know what it means to be saved? And I was like, yeah, sure. And I was giving him all these answers. And he was like, do you know what it means to be saved? Do you know what? It, and then he just kept asking me that question. The Holy Spirit just kept pounding that. So by the end of the sermon, I was like, I've got to get some answers because clearly I don't know what it means to be saved. Clearly, I don't have a relationship with Christ. And so I went down front. There wasn't an altar call. I just kind of beelined <laughs> down there. And I'm like the pastor was talking to people. And I was like, how do you get saved? What does that mean? And he was like, OK. And so he's like, I want you to talk to Leah. And so there's a woman just deliberately sitting on the front row of the lecture center. And she was just sitting there with her Bible. And and it was amazing to me now that I think about it. He knew the members in his church who could share the gospel with someone like he had a relationship with people where he said, "Okay, I know who you can talk to. You can go and talk to her right now. Like she's she's ready. She'll be able to share the gospel with you. It'll be clear. And and hopefully the Lord will save you. And I sat down with her and she started taking me through, you know, verses in Romans. And these are all verses I memorized and quoted. I did a wanna, all that kind of stuff. But there was something about that day. I remember she handed me the Bible and she said, you read them. And I read them and it was like the scales fell off and I got it. And I was like, I'm a sinner and I do not have a relationship with Christ. And she said, well, do you want to get saved? And I was like, "Uh, yeah, (laughs) what do I need to do? And it was so different because she didn't say, "Okay, repeat after me. She said, you pray what you have read. You know, if if you what you've read is true and you believe it, then you pray that back to Lord and you confess your sins to him and you ask him to come into your life. And I did that. And it I mean, you know, people always have these, you know, experiences or whatever. But I did. I felt like a weight fell off of me. I was like, oh, yes, this is what I needed. Um, And then after that, we exchanged numbers and I didn't know if anything was going to become of that. But after that, it just kind of organically happened where she would call me and she would say, hey, are you coming to church this Sunday? And I would come and I would start sitting next to her. And I just watched everything she did. You know, when she took out her Bible, she had a notebook and I was like, I got to get a notebook. And I was like, "Okay, she's writing notes. Okay, I got to take notes. All right. She's standing up praising. Okay, I want I mean, literally, I was just like. Yes, Jesus and reading and memorizing scripture and everything. And then we just start doing more life on life together. And I remember we would go to um, in Chicago. There's this uh, mall called the John Hancock 
building and it has this restaurant in it and you can go to all these different you know restaurants in there and you have this little credit card and so we went in there and she was like you know we're gonna you know talk to people about Jesus and I was like oh <laughs> no and I just watched her do it and then the more we went the more she was silent and she let me do it and I was like okay I'm learning how to do this this is this is pretty cool and I was so excited about it and then I remember we went to um, at that time she would um, share her testimony at times at uh, Moody Bible Institute. And so I would go with her and I would hear her share her testimony. And then I learned how to share my testimony. And so it was like everything she did, I just kind of mimicked her. And we're still great friends now. And it's funny, every time we get together, I usually bring like a notebook. And she's like, what are you doing? I was like, because you always say really great stuff and I want to write it down. And she's like, you are so crazy. But I was like, I love this time with you because you... I felt like the Lord used evangelism to bring me to Christ. And then she just continued that, you know, but that was all the work of the Holy Spirit. And she was willing and she was able and she knew what needed to be done. Like she knew I needed to hear the gospel. She didn't give me a whole bunch of tradition. She didn't say, well, you got to do this. You got to break up with your boyfriend. You got to do. She never did any of those things. And one of the things I remember that she helped me a lot with was um, as a new believer, I wrestled a lot with just assurance of salvation. You know, I would go back and forth a lot. I was like, why did I think like that? And why do I still like this kind of guy? And she was like, Ari, go back to the facts. The facts are you believed what God's word said. You accepted Christ. You're starting to see growth in your life. You're still going to struggle. That does not mean that you're not saved. And I was like, oh, okay. She was like, you cannot trust your feelings. Those will go up and down every day. <laughs> she was like, you've got to go off of the facts. And so I remember that. And I constantly just from her, I learned how to constantly go back to God's word. And so now when I think about discipleship and I was I have to just confess, I was a little messed up after last night with all the different <laughs> terms. And I was like, Lord, what am I doing? Am I making disciples? Am I training disciples? Am I a disciple? Are you a dis-? I was like, Lord, this is too much. So. This is my definition <laughs> of discipleship. You can take it or leave it. It's totally okay. <laughs> but I see discipleship as a process from conversion to faithfully teaching others to walk with Christ. So you've got conversion where they come to know who the Lord is to the point that they are faithfully Walking with Christ. And we'll see what faithfully walking with Christ looks like. Um, I believe if we're faithfully walking with Christ, then we're pouring into other people because there's no way that we can keep all that to ourselves. There's I mean, if you know of something good, you never keep it to yourself. And so if I'm walking with Christ, I want to bring other people along. I'm like, this is so good. You have got to walk with me. This journey is amazing. You've got to be a part of this. And so we'll see that as we kind of go through this lesson. Another thing I just want to make sure I define is what a disciple is. A disciple is one who is a follower or learner of Jesus Christ. Now, it's funny because you can hear disciple and that's anyone who follows a specific teaching. But for us, we follow the specific teaching of Jesus Christ. And so the minute that you accepted Christ, you began to follow his teaching. Does that make sense? Where he said, hey, you're a sinner and I'm your savior and you believe that you became a disciple that day. 
Does that make sense? And then you continue to walk with him. And that's what your life looks like now. And so when we think about evangelism. We start with um, and I'm going to give you one more. It is. The spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness. Now, I say the Christian gospel because Paul in Galatians, he gets on the the church in Galatia because they started to believe a different gospel. And so we want to make sure we're spreading the Christian gospel, the gospel that is preached in the word of God. And we're not adding anything to it. We're not saying the gospel plus you've got to work the gospel. Plus, you've got to have baptism, the gospel. Plus, you got to speak in tongues like that's not the Christian gospel. That's adding something to it. Does that make sense? And so we do that in public preaching or personal witness. A lot of us will probably do it by personal witness. There's not many of us who are just going out and just preaching publicly. Right. But we we do have that personal witness where we go and we tell people about who Christ is. And that's what we're called to do as disciples of Jesus Christ. All right. Does everyone have that? Okay. It's so funny. This is just side note. My mom is a teacher. And I remember her telling me when I was a child that I was going to be a teacher. And I was like, I'm never going to teach anything ever, ever, ever. (laughs) And moms are always right. (laughs) Um, One thing before I start this, I... I was praying about this last night. Um, you want to make sure to be cautious to not make discipleship another gospel. Um, and I really hope you hear what I'm saying, because you come to a conference like this and you hear so much about discipleship that your focus can be on that instead of what Christ has done and is doing in our lives. Does that make sense? And so this is not a new gospel. This is not something that we are supposed to be completely focused on and forget about what Christ has done. Like it's all about Jesus. We wouldn't have the opportunity to make disciples if it wasn't for Jesus. So the minute he becomes secondary, then you've made it a new gospel. Does that make sense? And so I have to constantly preach that to myself and say, Ari, this this is a part of what Christ has done. This does not take the place of what Christ has done. That makes sense. All right. If you have your Bibles, we're basically going to walk through a passage of scripture and we're going to see how Christ discipled a woman through evangelism. Um, and I'm sure this is a story that many of us have read. It's in John chapter four. It's a woman at the well. Um, and we're just going to start to pull out some some points here. We've got about nine points that we're going to pull out of this text. And I'm going to start with John chapter four, starting at verse six. If you're there, say amen. Amen. All right. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. 
Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem it is a place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers who worship the father in spirit and truth for such people, the father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am I I who speak to you am he. And then I'm going to skip down to verse thirty nine. Well, and skip down to verse 28. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? And they went out of the city and were coming to him. Let me skip down a little more to verse 39. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all the things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, it is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that the one is indeed the savior of the world. After the two days, he went forth from there into Galilee for Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast for they themselves also went to the feast all right now let's just break this down i love doing this in scripture so much fun the first thing you see jesus do in verse six is he created a margin in his day now jesus it says being weary from the journey he sat by the well now jesus could have sat anywhere he could have sat off in the distance so that no one would find him but he sat at a place where he knew people would come And so the question for us is, do I do that in my life? Do I have a margin in my life where I say, you know what? I set up time in my week where I can be strategic and I can meet people. Does that make sense? Not just going off of the people that I already know, but do I go to a coffee shop? Do I do I sit at the library? Do I make time in my day where I say I'm just going to go somewhere and sit and see what happens? And there's times, ladies, where and I I will tell you, I'm not lying. There's times where I've left work and I've been like, Lord, okay, is there anywhere you want me to just go sit today? And I've done it. And I tell you, it's nine times out of 10. The Lord has me meet somebody because I'm just there. And I'm like, I have no purpose. It's not like I'm coming here to study. I'm just sitting here. And the Lord allows someone there's this huge place for people to sit and they come to sit like right near me. I'm like, okay, well, 
You know about Jesus? No, <laughs> it doesn't start like that. We'll go through how it starts. But you want to think through, do you set up time in your life where you have that margin? Um, and I'll tell you a story. So there was one time where back in Chicago, I began to volunteer at a ministry called SLAM, and it was saving lives through athletic ministry. And so the goal was you were supposed to go there and kind of play with the kids and do all these games. But then you're supposed to choose like two to three girls that you were going to try to build like close relationships with. But the thing was, you had to have time in your life to do that. So if you didn't have that time, then they didn't want you to volunteer. They said, if you can only make it once a week and you can't spend time with them outside of this, then don't look to do this. And so I did that. And I remember how the Lord just allowed me to get to know this girl. And, and in my youthfulness of ministry, I just wanted her to get saved like right away. And the Lord was just like, it does not happen like that. Like you need to build a relationship with her, keep sharing the gospel with her. And one time over the phone, um, the Lord was just like, okay, share the gospel with her. And I did. And she accepted Christ. And I was like, oh my gosh. Uh, and I was like, what do I do now? And he's like, I think the Lord just laughs at me sometimes because I laugh at myself and I'm like, I don't understand. But, um, I just remember we started to just spend time together because a relationship had been built and I had already set up margins in my life where I could spend time with her. But you put yourself in places where you can meet people. And so if you feel like at your church right now you don't have that, then maybe you have to start going outside of your church and saying, "Okay, Lord, where are some places I can start volunteering so I can get to know people so I can start to build relationships with people? Does that make sense? Okay, so the first one is margin in your day. The next one is verse seven. It says there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me a drink. The second thing is we have to find a commonality. So Jesus was there and he was like, "Okay, I'm at the well. People come to the well to get water. She's coming to get water. I'm going to ask her for a drink of water. Now, Jesus could have easily got himself a drink of water. He's Jesus, right? He could have created a, a water pot and got something. He could have walked into the city and gotten water. It's not like he needed her to do that for him, but he used that commonality to build a, a conversation with her. And so then the question is, how do we begin to do that? Like asking the Lord, okay, what's the commonality, Lord? Okay, I'm, I'm a woman, she's a woman. There's a whole bunch of things we can talk about. I'm a mom, she's a mom. Okay, there are some things. I'm in the business world, she's in the business world. Like beginning to find those commonalities. And what, what we have to do is we have to start thinking outside of the box. In actuality, it's like when you're having these conversations, you're trying to figure out, Lord, what's the commonality? How can I begin a conversation with them? And so that is number two. And um, story about that. In 2011, I had gone on a mission trip to India. And while there, the Lord just really gave me a heart for Muslim women. And I didn't really know how to minister to Muslim women. I hadn't studied anything about it. I was just like, okay, Lord, I don't know what to do with this, but you've given me a heart for this. Because I just I didn't know until I went there and I saw so many Muslim women, it was just breaking my heart the more I was talking to the pastors there and they were like, we've, we've got to pray for this. And so I get back and I'm at um, a place in Memphis called Shelby Farms. And I'm sitting there with a the girl that I'm meeting with at the time. And behind us is a whole table of Muslim women just having a lunch. And so this girl, Jessica, and I are talking and I kept looking back and she was like, she was feeling like, OK, are you not listening to me? Because. I'm pouring out my heart. And I was like, we've got to go talk to those women. She's like, what? No. And we're two African-American women. 
These are all Muslim women from, and when I found out later, like Pakistan and India and just all over, and she was like, what, what are we going to talk about? I was like, I don't know, but I just feel like we need to go talk to them, and the Lord's just opening the door, so we're just going to go. And she was like, oh, my gosh. So we go, and, and the commonality was I had just come back from India. And so I said, you know what, I love your head wraps. I love the colors that you use, and that just opened the door. And they were like, oh, you've been to India? Well, sit down, eat some food. And I mean, literally, like the other ladies moved over, and they made us plates, and we started talking. And three hours later, we're talking about God, and, and this woman was saying, well, I want to talk to you more, and I've never studied the Bible, but I have some questions. And from that, we developed a, a friendship that we used to go over there, Jessica and I used to go over to our house at least once a month, and we would just talk about the Lord. They would ask questions, and she would bring other Muslim women, and some of the Muslim women that would come were very aggressive, and so we got a chance to experience that, like people laughing at us because we're Christians, and they're like, you really believe that? And we're like, yeah, we do. But the commonality was <laughs> that we were women, and what we learned later is they just enjoyed having relationships with American women. And they were just like, thank you that you actually want to get to know us and you actually want to talk to us. And so that was the commonality. And the Lord just opened up a door. So I'm still praying for her salvation. And I believe the Lord's going to do it. I don't know when, but he's opened up a door. The third one is you're going to see in verse 11. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then? Do you get that living water? And you kind of go down in verses. You're kind of going to get both of these in the next two, but I'm going to start here. It says, fine. I have find a way in the conversation to insert a truth about God. So find a way. In the conversation. To insert a truth about God. And I mean, this could be simple. You know, you could be talking and, and you guys could be thinking about the weather. And you say, you know, have you ever thought about who controls the weather? You know, we, we talk about the meteorologists and we talk about climate control and all that. But did you know that the Lord... He's the one who controls like all the weather and all the storms and all of that. And, and then that deepens a conversation. They're like, well, if he does, then why does he let this happen? And why does he? And then that just kind of opens the door for a conversation. But you find a way as you're listening to them, you're not kind of tunnel vision like, OK, I'm just going to share the gospel. That's all I'm going to do. And if they don't want to hear it, then I'm going to walk away. It's like, no, I want to have a conversation with them. I want I want to be able to dialogue with them. I'm trying to build a relationship with them. This is not just a one and done kind of thing. Does that make sense? And I think a lot of times we do that where we're just like, I'm just going to share and I'm not trying to have a relationship with you and and I'll just leave you. But the Lord builds a relationship with people like he wants them to know that I'm not just here for one purpose. Like, granted, I am here to bring salvation to you, but I want to get to know you so that you can come to know me. So let's just recap the first three. The first one is what? The second one is, third one is, awesome, y'all are on it. All right, let's see, everybody's got this? 
Let's go ahead to number four. All right, number four. Be ready to give an answer for your confidence in Christ. And we see this in this passage from 11 to 13, where the woman starts with, how is it that you're going to get this living water? Like, who are you? Are you greater than Jacob? Are you greater than this? And, and Jesus says, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give, that I will give, will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And for us, we can speak of boldness, speak with boldness for the Lord. We can say, I have confidence that God is who he says he is. And I can speak boldly about that. So you want to be ready to give an answer for your confidence in Christ. And note that it says your confidence in Christ, not your confidence in yourself, not your confidence in your years that you've been walking with the Lord, but your confidence in Christ. Like if it was not for Christ, I would not be saved. I would not be going to heaven if it wasn't for Jesus. It's not about me walking with the Lord for 20 years. It's not about me having parents who were pastors. It's not about me being married to a pastor It is because of Jesus. And when people see that, they're drawn to that. They're saying, wow, I want that. And that's what I remember seeing in my friend. It was just this confidence that it wasn't about her, but it was just that she knew who she was in Christ. And that's what I desired. Another place you'll see this is Ephesians 619, where Paul says, pray that we would have boldness. As we share the mystery of the gospel, as we share who Jesus Christ is. And so you pray that for yourself, like, Lord, give me boldness. When someone asks me why I have confidence in Christ, help me to not be afraid to tell them why. Like, I want to be bold in who I believe in. Does that make sense? Another place you'll see that is 1 Peter 3.15. It says, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who ask you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet with gentleness, gentleness and reverence. Where it's like if someone says, why do you believe in Christ? I should be able to give them an answer. I mean, one of my answers is who else can I believe in? I'm like Peter. He says, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Like I can't save myself. I think I've tried. I think a lot of people have tried, but we can't do it. And so we've got to put our hope in someone much bigger than us, someone who has created us and who knows exactly what we need. And that's Jesus Christ. Um, another thing with this is. I remember I had two conversations. I'll just share one about a young woman that I met at a conference um, a few years ago and. We were sitting and she came up to our booth and this was a downline booth that we had. And she came up and she was asking about downline and she was like, I need that. And later on, I found out the reason she really came to our booth is because one of the guys who was at our booth was really cute. <laughs> and she was like, I have got to go to the downline booth. And I was like, so I found that out later. But, you know, she came up there and saying, I want to know all about downline and this and that. And and then I don't know what it was. We just I just kind of pulled her over to the side and we just started talking. 
And I was like, well, tell me, you know, what's your walk like with the Lord? And she just started like just sharing. I was like, well, let's get together. Like, let's meet up later on today. Let's meet because there's like a little coffee shop in the hotel. And I was like, let's just talk. And we sat and we talked and she started sharing with me like her whole life and and just kind of what she had been through. And as we were talking, it, it just came to the realization that she had really never given her life over to the Lord. She knew a lot about the Lord. She had been going to church. She had heard the gospel before. But when it came to actually surrendering her life, she had never done that. And she got a chance to do that at that conference on New Year's Eve. And then she moved from this small town in Georgia all the way up to Memphis. And I remember her calling me saying, I can't believe I'm doing this. Like, I can't believe I'm leaving my home to move up to Memphis to learn about the Lord. And I was like, this is awesome. It's great. You're going to be great. Just stay on the map and don't get lost. (laughs) And, you know, all that. But the Lord allowed her to come to know the Lord through evangelism. And then I get a chance to continue to walk with her until she's faithfully walking with the Lord. And so we're still meeting now. But that came through evangelism that came through me sitting down, making margin in my day and not saying, you know what? I came to do this this conference and I've got to be at my booth. I don't have time to talk to you. You know, here's my phone number. Maybe you can call me later. But I was like, no, this is important. I'm going to go and sit with her and we're going to talk and we're just going to see how the Lord leads this conversation. The next one is share the gospel of Christ. We see Jesus do this in verse 14. He says, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. So right here, Jesus saying you can get water from that well every day for 50 years and you'll still never be satisfied. But if you allow me to give you what you need, you will never thirst again and you'll get eternal life. And so she's hearing that now as we keep going on, she doesn't immediately come in. She's not like, "Okay, yes, I want that right away. It it takes time. And we've got to realize that with people that sometimes people have to hear the gospel a few times. And that's because the Holy Spirit is working on their hearts and realizing that it's not up to us to save people. Like the Lord says, no one comes to the father unless they are drawn And so you might be the first person to share with them. You might be the 10th person. You might be the the person that they hear it for the last time, like Leah was for me. You never know, but you're still called to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the desire is that we share the whole gospel of Jesus Christ. And we don't share a false gospel, but we share a gospel from Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so it's nothing that you can do. It's all by the grace of God. Another thing I think of is um, my current job is I work as a counselor at a women's recovery center. So we spend a lot of time sharing the gospel and having conversations with women. And one thing that I've seen is women who are very broken, women who have felt like outcasts, they feel like there is no way that God will accept them. They think because the world has told them you need to get yourself cleaned up first. You know, they've heard that from their family over and over again. Like, get yourself cleaned up. Go to a 45 day recovery or go go get yourself together. And so that's that's constantly in their mind is once I get myself together, then I can come to God. 
But we have to reinforce to them, no, you come to him just as you are, broken, feeling like an outcast, feeling filthy, whatever it is, like that's how he wants you, just like that. And one passage that has really helped me in, in ministering to women like that is Psalm 147, verses 2 and 3. And it says, the Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. And, and I love to share that passage with women. Um, another book that I've used, if you know of a woman who is just kind of feeling like an outcast and feeling like there is, um, you know, just this this hard heart where she's like, I just don't feel I can come to the Lord. Uh, a book I've used a lot is by Nancy Lee DeMoss. It's called Surrender. It's a little book. It's probably about that thick. But I had a woman at our recovery center um, read that and she came back and she was like, I get it. Like he wants me to surrender everything to him where I'm thinking I just want to hold on to some stuff. And she was thinking if the, if God could just take away my addiction, then I'll be great. And I was like, no, he wants all of you. Like your addiction is like five percent of your issue. <laughs> he wants everything in you. He wants you to surrender everything to him. The next one, number six. Don't. Be afraid to talk about sin. Because this is a thing that keeps them from the Lord. And I think in our culture, we're, we're so apt to try to be tolerant of everyone that we don't want to call sin, sin. And so we'll say, oh, that's a lifestyle. Oh, that's a struggle. Oh, that's an issue that she has. Oh, that's because of her background. That's because of her upbringing. It is sin called sin, sin. <laughs> Jesus called it sin. God, the father called it sin. The Holy Spirit calls it sin. We have to call it sin. We're not doing women uh, um, a service by sugarcoating things, because if they think I can just come to God and still sin freely, then they're not really understanding the true gospel. Like Jesus died because of their sins and they've got to understand that. And so the same way you would call um, a person who steals something, you would call them a thief, right? The same way if you sin, whether it's one sin or 500 sins, you are a sinner and they've got to know you're a sinner from birth. As cute as you were as a little baby, you were a sinner and Jesus had to die for you. And if he didn't die for you, you would have no hope. And so Jesus does that. Verse 15, the woman said to to him, sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. So there was no talk about repentance. She was like, just give it to me. And he's like, oh, we got to deal with something first. I need you to go get your husband. And she's like, what's that got to do with me getting water? <laughs> and she's like, um, I don't have a husband. And and then, you know, the story he goes in, he says, you're right. You don't. You have five husbands. And the one you have now is not your husband. Like he does not sugarcoat it. And, and we've got to be OK to do that in conversations with people. And hopefully you've built a relationship with them. You've been having a conversation with them. You've been open about your own sin. And so then when they share, you can say, hey, let's talk about sin. Because we have to repent of our sins. We have to acknowledge that we're a sinner because Christ died for our sins. 
And if you feel uneasy doing that, then the question is, Lord, why do I feel uneasy? Why do I feel uneasy calling sin, sin? And ask the Lord to help you in that area. Maybe it is that you've got to first accept that you're a sinner and say, man, I'm not perfect and I sin. And then I'm able to see other people sin better. Does that make sense? Um, One thing I read in Matthew Henry's commentary, he says, and this is the method of dealing with souls. They must first be made weary and heavy laden under the burden of sin and then brought to Christ for rest. I'm going to read that one more time. And this is a method of dealing with souls. They must first be made weary and heavy laden under the burden of sin and then brought to Christ for rest. So they've got to know the weight of their sin. They've got to know that, man, my sin has separated me from a loving God. My sin causes me to go to hell. And then we say, yeah, it's really, really bad. But here's the hope. You could come to Christ and find rest because then he will take your sin. But people, they don't really get the grasp. They don't really grasp the joy of what Christ has done unless they really understand the depths of their sin. That makes sense. I remember someone showed me this um, this diagram. I'm just going to put it up here. I think it was in the um, it's a book called Gospel Centered Life, maybe. They say when you first come to Christ, you kind of see the cross like this. You're like, man, I need that. But the more you walk with the Lord, the more you're like, whoo, I really, really understand now because I'm seeing the depth of my sin. The more I walk with him, the more I realize that there was no way that I was going to go to heaven on my own. I mean, I am I'm messed up (laughs) like, thank you, Lord, that you love me. But when you first come to Christ, you're just realizing like, okay, I get it. I get who I am. But the more you walk with him, the more you realize your sin, but the more you realize his grace. Does that make sense? But we've got to be able to talk about sin with them. And you're going to see how we connect this even as we continue to walk with them um, in their journey with the Lord. So let's just recap. What's the first one? Mm-hmm. Second one. Mm-hmm. Third one. All right. Fourth one. Fifth one. And number six. Got to talk about it now. Number seven. All right. Looking at verses 19 to 25 in this passage, the woman. <laughs> I love this woman. She's just funny. She doesn't deal with the issue that he brings up. She's like, so you must be a prophet. <laughs> Isn't that how we do? We like to deflect like, OK, you're getting all in my business, so you must be really wise. So let me just ask you this strong theological question about where we should worship and all this. So here's the next one. Teach truth over tradition. For her, she wanted to be justified in her tradition. She wanted Jesus to say, You know what? Yeah. okay, you're a sinner. But, hey, you're doing the right thing because you're worshiping on this mountain. And that's what you've been told to do. And all right, you'll make it in. And and Jesus like, "Mm -mm, I've got to teach you truth. And this is where those core lessons come in, where we've got to know God's word to the point where we can 
decipher when people are giving us traditional answers versus truth. So I'll give you an example. Um, I've heard women, or I've heard just people um, in general say, you know, cleanliness is next to godliness. Anybody ever heard that? Okay. That is nowhere in the Bible. <laughs> because there are some people who live in, in slum areas all over the world, but they love Jesus like no other. And they walk with the Lord faithfully. And so that's not biblical. Or you've got people who say, well, you've got to speak in tongues. If you don't speak in tongues, then you must not be a Christian. It's like, but wait a second. Like, where is that scripture? Is that for every single believer? Because the one who was on the cross who said, Lord, can I be with you? Did he speak in tongues? But the Lord still accepted him in. He didn't even have a chance to get baptized. But he still went in. And so we've got to be careful to not just take things and make them so bold and say, this is tradition. You got to do this. And that's being legalistic. The Lord wants us to teach his truth and nothing else. And this is what Paul rallied against in, Gal- in the book of Galatians. If you get a chance, just read it and read it with new eyes. Like Paul is going in because they're saying, well, you've got to get circumcised. In addition to accepting Christ, you've got to do this. And he's like, no, that is not the gospel I preached. Don't believe that. And so we've got to know God's word so that we can make sure we teach truth over tradition. Um, and I know that is hard um, for many of us because we've been taught things for so long. But one thing I remember, I was telling my friend Tiffany this morning, um, one of our pastors from the church that I went to in college, uh, in our little college uh, Bible study we used to have, we would come in there and we would tell him, well, we think Jesus said this and we think this. And he would always reply, what's your burden of proof? And we were like, what are you talking about? He's like, show me in the word. Where does the word say that? And we were like, oh, man. Uh, I mean, I heard, you know, this pastor say it. There's this pastor on TV. He's got to be right. He's like, Mm-mm, you've got to know the word for yourself. And so we ladies have to take time to really study God's word for ourselves. And if that means that we go against tradition, then we go against tradition. And we've got to say, but I'm going to teach God's truth. And that's it. I'm not going to add anything to it. I'm not going to take anything away from it. And I'll go more into this when we talk about how to do this as as you're walking with someone. Um, But you see how Jesus did this in verses 19 to 25. He talks about where they should worship. He says it's it's not about a place. It's about a person like you're supposed to worship God. And he, he goes in, he says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews right there. He's saying, you know. If you don't know where you're getting salvation from, then you don't really have anyone to worship. And and I wrote down at the bottom of my um, Bible, I said, where your thirst is filled is where you worship. And so if her thirst is filled in Christ, then that's where she's going to worship. If her thirst is filled in her tradition, then that's where she's going to worship. And so if, if God feels that thirst for you, then that's who you worship. And he goes in, he says, but an hour is coming and now he is when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and truth. He doesn't give any specific place. He says you will worship him in spirit and truth because you'll know who he is. Then he goes in and I'll kind of share this part and then we'll kind of go into number eight. Um, he says, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. 
And so right there, she's like, okay, you act like you know everything, mister. But when the Messiah comes, then he'll explain everything to us. And so now we get to number eight. It's a repeat. You share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, again, in this conversation, he's like he shared the gospel twice now. He goes into verse 26. He says, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. You're looking for the Messiah. I am the Messiah. You don't have to look anymore. Everything you've been hoping for is right here. And and I love how it kind of it goes super fast after this. She's like she hears that. And scripture says she dropped her water pot and ran into the city. She didn't need to hear anything else. She said, first, he knows everything about me. He actually had time to talk to me. He shared who he was with me. And now I need to go tell someone else. And so now we get to number nine. Where the goal of discipleship is that they will go and tell someone else. And you see here that Jesus didn't have to tell her to go tell someone else. She was like, I cannot keep this to myself. This is too good. Too good. And then we see later on how he stayed with them for two days and continued to teach them. And so you see that he evangelized her and then he continued to train her and the other believers who became disciples. So now how do we use this as we're walking with someone after they come to know the Lord. And, and one thing I, I want to just share is whatever you preach to people before they come to Christ, you've got to preach that same thing after they're in Christ. And so if you preach the gospel of salvation that is by grace alone, through faith alone, then you continue to preach that once they're in Christ. Does that make sense? And so I'll kind of just walk through these. Um, I won't write it all on the board again. But just how do you walk with someone now? After they've come to know the Lord using these same truths. So let's say now we've got someone who is a believer. They are a disciple. So now we continue to make margins in our day or our week to meet with them. So the same way we made a margin in our day to meet them, we continue to make a margin in our day to continue to meet with them. I think that if you're going to have a heart to evangelize, you've also got to make sure you've got time to continue to disciple them. Does that make sense? And so I know for me, I've gone on mission trips before and, you know, and they would want you to go out and share the gospel. One of the things I would always ask is who's going to follow up with them? Because if you're sending 20 of us out to share the gospel to this village, who's going to come behind us and help them? If no one's coming behind, then then how are they going to grow? And so you want to make sure that if I'm going out to evangelize, then, Lord, give me time in my week where I can continue to meet with this person. The second one, I continue to find commonalities in our lives so that we can do life together. 
So just like I found a commonality to have that conversation, I'm continuing to do that as I disciple them where I'm trying to figure out what are some things that you like? What are some things that you like to do? What are some things that you've never experienced? Okay, let's do that together. And that's the life on lifetime. That makes sense. All right. The third one, we continue to insert truths about God in our conversations with them. So if you're going grocery shopping and you're talking, you're constantly thinking like, okay, how can I share more truth about God? You know, if they bring up a situation they have, okay, how can I share truth about God in this situation? Okay, they're struggling in the area. Okay, how can I share what God's word says? I'm constantly thinking that. Number four, we're always ready to give an answer. And I want everyone, if you have a Bible, just turn to this passage. This passage just blew me away. I found it last year. And it's always been in the Bible. (laughs) It's not like it wasn't here before. But you know how you find those passages. You're like, where did this come from? So it's in Isaiah chapter 50. Verse four. And I just love this. It says the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to listen as a disciple. And so for so long, I thought disciple was only in the New Testament. Until I just started searching around and I was like, this is this is exactly it. Like we the Lord gives us a tongue of a disciple that we would, will be able to sustain the weary one with just a word. And that word is God's word. That's not me giving my opinion. That's me taking them back to scripture to say, OK, you're struggling. You're, you're wrestling with your faith. You're wrestling with a time in your life. Let me give you a word from God's word. And then just as a disciple, you're asking, Lord, Lord, wake me up. Like, I want to listen to you. I want to learn from you so that I will know how to encourage someone else. The same one, number five, we share the gospel. People need to be reminded of the gospel daily. So it's not just we hear it at the point of salvation, but we need to be reminded of it every single day. Because, as you know, we will get into this performance and say, well, I've got to do these things so that God can be happy with me. And it's like. No, I'm already made righteous because of what he's done. Like every morning I wake up, God still has a smile on his face. He's not looking at me with a half smile like, oh, do you know what you did yesterday? I'm like, yep, sure do. And he's like, yep, I still forgive you and I still love you. It's like, oh, thank you. Thank you. Because if, if it wasn't like that, then I would constantly be working every single day. Like, how can I make today better than yesterday? And it's like I'm made righteous because of what he's done for me, not because of what I can do. Next one is we talk about their sins and our sins. So it's not just about me pulling out their sins, but I'm sharing what I'm struggling with with them. And they know that, wow, okay, she's still in need of salvation. (laughs) Like she is going through a sanctification process just like I am. She has not achieved perfection. Like we don't achieve that until we get to heaven. Next one is we teach truth over tradition. That's where we take time um, to develop or to coordinate different biblically sound lessons. And I'm going to give them a little plug with a downline, a little plug. So 
for me, um, when I first started out just um, meeting with women, this was back in Chicago. So I didn't have any curriculum. I didn't know. So I just used devotionals that were given to me. So they're not called this, but I just you know, coined the name, the Lord series. So Kay Arthur writes all these books like Lord, only you can change me. Lord, teach me how to stand. And that's what I studied. And that's what I used. I was like, hey, this has impacted me. So I'm going to use this to impact you. And then as I continued to walk with the Lord, then I would use lessons from church. And I would say, okay, that was a really good lesson. I'm going to file that away so I can teach that to someone else. But if you feel like you're at a point where you're like, I have no idea where to start. Um, downline does have a thing called a downline builder and it is, it's really amazing. And I'll have these rack cards up here for you. Basically it's online and you would go in and you would say how many people you're going to meet with and the age of those women. And then you can pick lessons that you want to take them through and you can print off a student guide and a teacher's guide. Okay. So you don't have to do any work. All you got to do is press print. (laughs) And, and sometimes that's good because, uh, you know, many women, we have so many things going on in our lives already. It's kind of hard to say now I got to create lessons. I don't have time to do that. I don't even know how to do that. OK, no need to reinvent the wheel. If someone has already done it, I will use what they have until I get to the point where I can write my own. But it's just a resource. Another one we have is it's just um, it's downline discipleship. So it's a teacher guide and a student guide. And it's good to just have something that you can put in someone's hands and say, "Okay, we're going to walk through this together for a time period and then we'll walk through something else. But at least gives you somewhere to start. So you're not saying, well, I can't start because I don't have anything. We don't have that excuse anymore. It's like, well, I do have something (laughs) so I can start somewhere. But we want to have biblically sound lessons. And so you want things that are tested and tried and making sure that they line up with God's word. Um, because if you just go off the TV passer, sometimes you don't know what you're getting. So you're like, uh, I need to make sure that somebody has actually read the Bible and has written down lessons and other people have looked at it. And I can say that with full confidence about the downline lessons. Like it's not just something that people just put together. Like it was looked over and then someone else looked over it and someone else looked over it and they made sure that it's, it's biblically sound, but we want to make sure we teach truth over tradition. Um, just like number eight before, we continue to go back over the gospel. The gospel never gets old. It's still amazing. I heard someone say that the gospel is scandalous when you really think about it. When you think about an innocent person dying for a guilty person, that's scandalous. And that that should always amaze us. Like we should never get to the point where we're like, oh, the gospel. I don't want to hear that. It's like, no, tell me again. Remind me again of what Christ has done for me. And then the last one is we watch the overflow happen. Like we're pouring into these women's lives and we get a chance to watch the overflow. We get a chance to watch them pour into other women. So I want to give us a chance for any questions, comments. I know it's a lot. Um, But I was really encouraged as I was reading through John 4 and I was just like, Lord, you give such great models. There's really no reason to write anything new. Like just just go by what you've already written. So that's what I've done. I hope it's been encouraging to you. Any questions? Yes. Oh, that's good. <laughs>
Okay, I'm going to repeat the question. Um, in your discipleship relationships, in evangelism, how do you make Christ the central focus? Like that's the one you want over everything else. Um, I've had a chance to meet with a lot of single women. And so usually most of the single women are like, I just need to get married. As soon as I get married, then everything will be great. And it's like, oh, honey. <laughs> so then what I do is I try to team them up with some married women who can tell them honestly what it's like. And then they come back and they're like, oh, it's not at all what I thought. And I was like, yeah, it's not a roller coaster. It's not this amazing flowery facade that you have like let's go really talk to a real married woman who's going through real issues who in all honesty sometimes wants your life over her life and so I try to have them meet people so they can get out of that um, fantasy land you know and so if it's like if I just get kids or if I just get this job okay let's talk to someone who has all of that but then hopefully I try to get people who have made Christ the center of their lives So that they can see that it's not just me telling them, but there are women who have exactly what you want, but still Christ is the center of their lives. Because that's one key thing about discipleship is you want to bring in other women who are faithfully walking with Christ, too. Does that make sense? So even how Christ at the end, once his disciples came back, they all stayed for two days. And so it wasn't just Christ meeting with them, but it was the rest of the disciples. And I'm sure they all had little groups in my mind. I'm just thinking they're all like in these little groups and everyone's kind of asking questions and talking. But they're all their focus is we want to make sure we teach them. And and Christ wanted to show them, hey, these are people who are following me, who have been following me. Talk to them. Ask them about it. Does that make sense? Does that answer your question? Okay. The conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll just repeat the question for them. Like, um, what do you do when you're afraid to open your mouth about Christ? Like the person is there. There's a conversation that could possibly happen, but you're fearful. That's where you really have to ask the Lord because he says that he will give you the words to say. And so I think so much we worry about the words and the Lord's like, all you got to do is just open your mouth. And he will. And I've, I've experienced it where I'm like, I don't know what to say, Lord. And I just open it and all these verses come out. And I'm like, where did that come from? I don't even remember reading that or praying that. But the, the trust is you've got to trust in the Lord more than yourself. When we trust in ourselves, we will always fail because we can't do it on our own. Right. And so we've got to trust in the Holy Spirit. Like, Lord, you're stronger than me. You know exactly what this person needs to hear. So please move me out of the way and just let me be a vessel. Like, really, all he's asking us to be is a mouthpiece. And so he's going to give the words. He knows exactly what that person needs to hear. But you've got to trust in him. And so that's more of a trust issue, more so than knowing the right words to say. It's more so, Lord, do I really trust you to say what you need to say, or am I trusting in myself? If I'm trusting in myself, I'll never do it. Does that answer your question? Yeah, that's good. Okay. Because, you know, I... Mm-hmm. And so I even say it doesn't matter if you're going to feel stupid. Yeah. Just do it. So it's still, I was just relying on myself. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, I mean, over and over again in scripture, the Lord tells us to just trust in him. Trust in him. Because if we start to trust in ourselves, we won't do anything. So. Yes. Yes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We do 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, let me think. Um, I know a time at uh, Mariah House. Sometimes we, we ask women this long um, assessment and we ask them all these questions, but you know, because we're sinners, no one's ever really honest until they actually get into the program because they're like, I just need to get in, so I'm not going to tell you all the stuff I do. Um, and so we had one woman who told us that she had struggled with homosexuality, but that she was not in a homosexual relationship. And she ended up being one of my clients, and so we're talking, and I started talking about you know, some things, and she was like, well, I'm this, and I don't think it's wrong, and she just started going off. And I was like, okay, I understand where you're coming from, However, God's word does say that it is a sin. And that and here's the thing, that sin is not the biggest sin. It's not like that's the one thing that keeps you from the Lord. What keeps you from the Lord is because you are a sinner. Like from birth, you are a sinner. And that just happens to be one thing that you do. And so when you're talking to people, trying to get them to not get and you you can't avoid this. People are going to get defensive because of pride. But try to diffuse it by saying that's not the one thing that God's really focused on. Like he sees you as a sinner and that's why he died on the cross for you. And so you could spend time trying to focus on that one sin and it's not going to get anywhere. And so you could bring up that thing, but then also helping them to realize like it's because we're sinners that Christ had to die. So yeah, I remember after she walked out of my office, I was like, Whew, okay. <laughs> We got to meet again next week. And I mean, and she was just living. I can't believe and I've been living like this all my life. And I said, okay, but that's not the issue. The real issue is we're sinners. And that's just one sin that you commit. And that just happens to be a sin that, that our culture is making a lot of noise about right now. But there's so many other sins that you commit also. <laughs> so I don't know if that helps. All right, then, ladies, I'll close us in prayer. And I just want to thank you so much for coming to the discipleship.org forum. Thank you. Heavenly Father, you know every woman in this room, Lord God. You know their desire. You know their fears, Lord God. You know that they um, want to follow you wholeheartedly. I truly believe that with my whole heart, that they want to do exactly what you have commanded them to do. Um, and so, Lord, I pray right now for those who are fearful. Lord God, I pray that you would remind them that you have not given them a spirit of fear, but of love, power and a sound mind. That's something you have given them. And Lord, I pray for those who are bold, Lord, who who don't have a problem with talking to people. But Lord, I pray that you give them focus. Lord, they will know exactly who to be bold with, who to talk with, Lord, that they will know how to start these conversations. Lord, I pray for the woman who just has a very full schedule and who's hearing this and saying, there's no way I can do this. Lord, I pray that you would give her margin in her life. Lord, I pray that you would show her how she can do this, Lord God. And I pray for the woman who is discipling, who just needed to be encouraged, Lord God. I pray that she will know that this is exactly what she's supposed to be doing. And Lord, we thank you again that you allow us to be a part of this work with you. And Father, I pray that you would be glorified, that you would be highly exalted. And Father, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. 
Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum. 